Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You want to know what the best email marketing service is for your small business? Well, I've got the team for you. Emailtooltester.com is the place to find reviews and tutorials of newsletter services like ActiveCampaign, MailChimp, GetResponse, and many more. Download their free comparison spreadsheet that will help you find the best email marketing service among many providers. Just Google Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. Again, just Google it. Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis and they have a look back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Don Lane. He's the Chief Marketing Officer at Saucony. Saucony's the running shoe and clothing manufacturer. But, but we talk a little bit about Don's career. Um, he spent 21 years at Arnold, an agency up in Boston, then switched to DraftKings after 21 years um, and spent a little stint there and before joining Saucony which has been a little over 100 days. And so we talk about his first 100 days on the job, a new brand positioning that they're going to release shortly, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Don Lane. Well, Don, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alan. Nice to be here. It was nice to have you here. Well, I thought, you know, we've talked before. I thought we should start off with your dad. 
And I understand, you know, from our last conversation, your dad was in advertising, I think a creative director in the 70s and 80s. And just curious, and I'm sure listeners would be interested in this, is kind of what, tell us a little bit about him and, and maybe the impact that he had on you. Sure. Yeah. He, he actually, his career lasted probably until around 2010 or so, but his heyday definitely was the 70s and the 80s and into the early 90s. And he was a pretty notorious creative director. He had a, a sarcastic, sharp wit and didn't love account people and made sure everybody <laughs> knew it. He was a classic madman, I guess. But in the 70s, at a very young age, he was the global creative director on Kodak, which listeners today may not totally appreciate, but that was one of the, the world's best creative brands out there in the world. And he did this campaign called For the Times of Your Life, which was a pretty big campaign in the 70s that had a hit song from Paul Anka that made the top 10 so that he wrote. So he was pretty confident and uh, accomplished at a young age. Then in the 80s, he was with J. Walter Thompson this whole time. They had him head up their Detroit creative office, and he was the global creative director on Ford. Have You Driven a Ford Lately was his baby there. And then even into the 90s, he ran their San Francisco office they did stuff like the sprint pin drop campaign. So pretty iconic campaigns for that time period. And even though my parents were divorced and I was growing up in Connecticut, I spent a lot of time with him as he traveled around the country and the world. And I didn't know it at the time, but definitely through osmosis, I developed a real appreciation for advertising and a real love of brands and advertising. And I think eavesdropping on his conversations or just hearing him talk about it. He never really schooled me on it. I just developed a taste for advertising that was a turbo boost for me early in my career. I was really lucky because of that. So I went to university, didn't have an advertising program at this little small private school that I was going to. But out of college, I got a job in advertising at Arnold. And I think that appreciation for creative, even though I started as an account guy, helped me accelerate my career for some reason. So maybe it was me trying to please my dad who didn't like account people, or maybe it was just <laughs> because I had a creative sensibility as an account person and made, therefore made unusual connections with creative people. I think I was set up for success. That's a great story. And, uh, Man, I mean, what what a a great what's the word I'm looking for? Was what a great teacher, even just by being able to listen into whatever was going on in his day. I think so. it's that's what we do in this business. You're always listening and learning, and if you can soak it up, it can really help you. And I, I got lucky at a young age. Well, so you spent a, a lot of time. I think it was 21 years at Arnold. Yeah, and. You then switched to client side. What was that about? What were you? What, what drove that? Well, the reason I spent so much time at Arnold is also the reason I ended up leaving. I'll, I'll start with the Arnold thing. At a very early part of my career, I guess the first year I dabbled on some so the, the least sexy accounts in the world, but I somehow caught the eye of creative leaders who put me on the Volkswagen account, which Arnold had just won. And that was the Great Drivers Wanted campaign from the mid-90s up to 2004 or five, I guess it was. And a lot of us at a young age were given a ton of responsibility because we had very gracious clients and really benevolent leaders at Arnold who gave us 
responsibility and trusted us at a young age. I ended up leading that for a few years. And so I stayed because of that. And it was, I guess you'd call it my Camelot, just the talent on that team in every department was off the charts and they're all leading agencies and I guess captains of industry to to this day. But then moving off of that, I was able to work on just amazing brands that kept So I kept learning. So I got to work on ESPN. I got to leave the Volvo Global account, which took me around the world. And that kept me learning. And then at the same time, was working on brands like Timberland and New Balance and Titleist and FootJoy. So really iconic global brands that kept me on my toes, kept me stretching and kept me learning. And so I never really thought of leaving because anytime it got stale, something new and fresh and exciting fell into my lap. And so the last, I'd say, 18 months, it got stale and I stopped learning. And I think I understood that subconsciously, maybe was in a bit of denial or thought that I could power through and the next great opportunity would come my way. But I just started listening to offers and listening to recruiters for the first time. And a company called DraftKings came along, which was an emerging fantasy sports brand based in Boston, really close to the Arnold office. And I realized I had stopped learning and I didn't want to be a lifer. And I was mid 40s, just I didn't want to be a lifer. And I, I wanted to keep going in doing the thing that drove me to advertising in the first place, which was taking a chance, challenging myself, etc. So At the time, DraftKings, it was probably the worst time to join DraftKings because there were a lot of legislative issues. There were brand perception issues. There was question whether or not it should be legal. Was it gambling? Was it not? And I was introduced to their CEO, one of the three founders, and had a one-on-one with him. And we really connected. And through that process, we got to know each other a little bit. And I was given the opportunity to, to go help them shape a brand that didn't exist, even though they were on fire in terms of growth, the zeitgeist in the world was defining what their brand was, and it wasn't favorable. So it was a challenge. And it was, I ran towards that challenge. And I'm glad I did it because I learned a ton during that experience. Well, I, I know you told me, I think the offices were separated by like 250 yards. So yeah, even it, it was a big switch. It wasn't very far to go. <laughs> no, it wasn't life changing. You know, I, I, not that I didn't learn a lot, a lot during the process of moving there and staying there and then ultimately moving on to where I am now. But I could see my friends at Arnold every morning for coffee if I wanted to. So I took a took a leap, but there was definitely a safety net. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, anything, anything that stands out in terms of what you learned and then it obviously led you to join Saucony. So anything, anything there in terms of that transition and, and what you took with you? Yeah, I think that here's one thing I learned is at an agency, our product is the creative and that's our widget. And everybody is all about inspiring or creating or producing or or protecting great ideas. And the most important part of our day was always that that element of our business, the creative. I love that. Moving client side, so I don't think this is a DraftKings thing, I wouldn't say, although it was there, but I quickly discovered that that wasn't the be-all, end-all. The widget wasn't the creative. And in fact, there were many people in every meeting I was in where branding and creative was seen as a necessary evil, not an imperative. And 
again, that's not to disparage DraftKings. That was an epiphany I had on uh, moving client side. Right. So that, so that was one thing. And that took an adjustment for me. And that helped me learn not only how to position the stuff that we were doing better, but help me understand how it fit into the business better, which I could say I'm doing a help me transition to Saucony. But the other thing for me moving over to DraftKings was, I should have mentioned before, was another learning experience, which was I grew up as an account guy and, you know, strategist with creative sensibilities. And at Arnold, I was lucky enough to come up with ideas that people would be open to that we actually ended up producing, which was very unusual and really thrilling for someone like me. But when I was recruited to DraftKings, they made me the head of brand, the brand team that didn't, there was not a brand team that existed before I got there, but also head of creative. So in essence, I was the executive creative director at DraftKings. And we had agencies we worked with who were great partners, but most of the work we did was in-house with an in-house team I was able to build. And so I learned a lot about building a team, integrating into a culture that didn't necessarily see that opportunity until we started doing it. But I stretched into my own, I guess, skill set into, into creative leadership, which was a growth opportunity, but something I really, really loved. And I feel really proud of the work that we did both internally and externally. So that's why I made the move there. Got it. Well, you've, uh, you, you now at Saucony, you've been there, I think you finished your first hundred days or a little over that now where a lot of folks that listen to this are, are making transitions. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, you're fresh off a hundred day start. Where do you start? And, or, you know, what, where did you start and why? One of the things I learned at DraftKings that I applied was to start by shutting up and listening. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I think agency people, me included, have a lot of conviction based on experience and based on just personality traits that can come off as arrogant in an organization that isn't used to that kind of freewheeling, thinking out loud with conviction personality. And so at Saucony, I was really careful to absorb the organization, the business, build alliances, trust, and start there. That's really what I did. And, you know, I had ideas, some of them, you know, over time, by the time I started to share them made sense. I had ideas early that I realized maybe the organization isn't ready for that yet, or maybe it's just not right for, for the brand or the organization because I learned something from the other people that I'm currently working with. And so that, that's really, I would recommend to anybody making a switch, switch, whether it's on an account within an agency or in a role at a client or switching back and forth between knowing what you don't know is you actually, you don't know what you don't know. So the only way to do that is to, is to really throttle instincts and just listen. So did that number one, number two was spent a lot of time getting to know who our customers are, which is our retail network. Now we're in run specialty, so we don't really have our own mono-branded stores other than a few scattered outlets in the USA. So our partners are run specialty stores that sell premium run products, You know, brands like Saucony and Mizuno and Asics, primarily New Balance, plus the big mass brands like Adidas and Nike and Under Armour. But 
they really focus in on those run specialty brands. They're on the front lines. I learned a lot from interacting with them at conferences, individual one-on-one meetings that really helped me think about how we can present our brand in a way that's going to be meaningful to consumers, but also to our distribution network so that they know what to say about not only our products, but our brand and how it fits a specific customer that walks through the door. And then I guess the last thing I would say I, I, I did from the beginning was tons of research with consumers, quantitative, qualitative, and help just under, again, understanding how we're going to fit their lives beyond just the shoes that we put on their feet or the apparel that they wear on their backs. So that's where I started and, you know, collaborated with a a good team that already existed that needed a little leadership. And hopefully I brought some of that to them and they brought a lot of run experience to me and together we're ready to roll. We've got a cool brand idea that we're getting ready to launch and we've had some nice hits along the way the last couple of months. So we're getting, we're hitting our stride, no pun intended. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Well, I want to talk about the brand piece in a bit, but curious just to follow up on, you know, doing research these days. Yeah. Do you have do you have a go to method uh, or methodology that you feel helps you the most? And maybe it's situation based, but well, I guess it is a bit situation based. But if there's a there's a that's a really good way of asking the question. The the go to way for me, comes from my VW experience. Drivers Wanted was the tagline, but the line leading up to it was on the road of life. There are passengers and there are drivers. Drivers Wanted. And that was all based on the mindset of a certain kind of person. And we had done research that revealed there were two kind of people in the world. There were people who saw a car as like a utilitarian object just to get you from point A to point B. And they were happy to sit in the passenger seat and didn't see cars meaningful where there was a ton of other people who, you know, wanted to have stick shift, feel the car, the road, everything around them. And it was the journey of driving that was just as fun as the destination you were going to. So there was a difference between drivers and passengers and drivers was our mindset. And so over the course of my career, that's just in some cases, I've worked on teams that have overtly done that kind of targeting and others where we've done it less so. But as far as research goes, to answer your question, I'm always looking for, it's good to understand the demographics, great. It's, it's really good to understand the segmentation, fine. But what really matters is, do you connect with people? And that comes from understanding their mindset. And so at Saucony, we did this at DraftKings too, but at Saucony, it's the go-to thing has been, let's get in their hearts, in their heads, and understand why, why they run in this case. And understand their mindset and how we fit not only on their feet in terms of product, but how, what it feels like while they're experiencing our, our product running and what it feels like in the apre running experience, if you will, that's transformative experience that runners have. And so all our research has been to do that. So, you know, ethnography is a great way of doing that spending time in apartments, in houses. We've gone around the world to multiple markets around the world to make sure that this mindset we're developing is transcends markets. You know, understanding local nuances, but really trying to find what are those unified characteristics. And so this mindset for VW, it was consumer-facing, but for no other brand in, that I've worked on has it been consumer-facing. So we've named our target based on that research that we use as a barometer internally to say, 
would this kind of person like that communication or look like that in casting or want that kind of product or shop that way? And if they do, great, let's do that. If not, let's twist the ideas to make sure we're putting that customer at the center of everything we do. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I've noticed a few things in the news lately with related to what you guys are up to. I guess, first of all, there was a pair of avocado toast sneakers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then more recently, a pair of Duncan branded running shoes, I think for the Boston Marathon. Yeah. Where are you guys coming up with these ideas? So we have a great team of product developers and designers that conceive those ideas. Sometimes the ideas come from marketing too. In the case of Avocado, that was the ingenuity of our originals team. So, you know, we have our performance running business, but we also have heritage silhouettes of Saucony shoes from the 70s, 80s, and 90s that make up our originals business. So they're lifestyle shoes that people wear when they're not running, even though they were originally running shoes. But we also come up with special models within... Uh, in, for that business, because that sneaker culture I'm coming to learn is really cool and fascinating and almost cult-like. And they love new products. And one of the guys came up with an idea for an avocado toast shoe colored like that, you know, had a green avocado green upper and a <laughs> toast colored rest of the shoe. And what happened was, you know, it's funny. And Jimmy, I guess Seth Myers picked it up and put it in his monologue the same night or the day after Jimmy Fallon had done it. And so right. Jimmy Fallon puts it up in his monologue and he says, hey, a shoe company from Boston has come up with an avocado toast sneaker and he shows it and it looks perfect. And then he says, the only problem is the next day it looks like this. And then he shows it like it's melted, you know, it's like brown <laughs> everywhere and it's kind of saggy. And so we got that. And he referred to us as a shoe company. So I worked with our marketing guy on the originals team and we wrote him a personal note and we sent it to him and we said, Hey, Jimmy, thanks for the shout, shout out. Really appreciate it. in your monologue that said, it would have been nice if you'd mentioned our name, <laughs> but then it occurred to us, you don't know how to say Saucony, which a lot of people don't. Right. People think it's Saucony or, and so we said, so just so you know, and we phonetically spelled it sock dash a dash knee k-n-e-e so if you get a chance it'd be nice if you could mention it next time well that day he and we sent a pair of the shoes he opens the <laughs> box gets the note right in the moment takes the instagram selfie of himself and debates whether he should eat them or wear them <laughs> but mentions our name by name and you can't buy that that was organic and like within a day there were five hundred thousand likes that's insane. That's insane. And it was just follow up. It was just follow up on your part to prompt that that got you that opportunity. That's amazing. Yeah, we just had we were batting around an idea and the and this guy on our team, this great guy who's really resourceful and hustles, you know, took the initiative to write it down and make it happen and it it worked. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, what about the so you've got the Duncan uh, branded running shoe actually so not right i think it was not the original but the actual performance line yeah you know i'm wearing donuts on my feet as i'm running the marathon that's all i can think of yeah <laughs> right they're soft and light no we right. um, that is a performance shoe most brands the boston marathon being the original usa and the, and the biggest marathon in the world every brand 
comes up with a special model for that. And we being from Boston wanted to stand out. So we, we partnered with this other Boston iconic brand, Dunkin' Donuts, to do a shoe that featured, that was co-branded. And the thinking was a couple fold. One was we're really picky about our partners and they're from Boston. That's one thing. America runs on Duncan is their idea. So it made sense from that standpoint. But it goes back to the the research that we mentioned before. You know, the research we found that people, for runners, running is a means to an end for most people. In fact, many runners don't describe themselves as runners. They run to do something. So they run for something. Some people run for health, whether it's fitness or mental health. Some people run to be like a more balanced person. They say like, I'm a better musician when I'm running because I'm in a better headspace or I'm a better family person because I'm not hangry all the time or whatever the <laughs> metaphor is for hangry when you're not running. <laughs> a lot of people run so they can either have a beer or have donuts and not get totally out of shape, you know? And so we thought it was really disruptive is such a cliche. It's not actually what we were trying to do. We thought it was really interesting and self-deprecating to say, you know, we're a leader in performance running, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. It's okay to run for donuts. That's okay. And, you know, you have a lot of our competitors, which are really aggro and alpha and aspirational and take over the world. And we can't outshout them. So let's just be real and keep it real. And we thought that was a way of doing that. I love that. I love that. And where I, I just moved recently, but where I, I um, used to live, there's this donut shop called Rise Donuts. Mm. And on usually I think it was Sunday morning if I would go over there to get some donuts for me, my, my wife and my daughter. But and it would be early in the morning, you probably eight, eight or eight 30. And there would be this line of sweaty people. <laughs> and the the hilarious thing is there's a there's this old like railroad trail that goes through that they've made into this long running trail. It's kind of like a rails to rails to running trails or something group that's done it. And it's the two local specialty stores. I think um I think one's called Bull City Running and the other is Fleet Feet. Yep. Have these running clubs that go out for runs, you know, I'm guessing they start at like seven or something in the morning and they end up at right where the trail drops off to the shopping center where rises and they all line up to get donuts after the run. Exactly. It's hilarious. I mean, <laughs> in, our, in our re Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Search, we did that. We, you know, that ethnography I talked about, we were in people's homes and then we went running with them. And then also we spent time with them in their extracurricular. And some of them were in run clubs and insights like that came out. Other thing is one guy who, the most famous Saucony person who is this guy named Rod Dixon. He's a Kiwi from New Zealand. And in 1983, he won the New York City Marathon. But one of the things when we were interviewing him about our history, we said, well, what motivated you? And he said, you know, all I wanted to do was work out like an animal and then go have a beer. And so that's kind of who <laughs> Saucony is. And I think that's what real people are. And I think that's, if presented well, can be really endearing to the people we're trying to attract. No, I agree. I agree. Well, this episode will probably release in late May, and I know you're in the process of defining a newer revised brand positioning now that'll be brought to life probably around that time. I'm curious, you know, what could you share now and, you know, knowing that this will be a few weeks from yeah, being sure. published? I'd be happy to share it. Happy to share it as long as yeah. we release it after. I know the world's yeah. waiting for the next brand campaign from Stockney. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are pretty, we're pretty psycho about running. We love to run. Our team, you know, we go for runs, you know, a couple times a week together in the morning or over lunch and we make great products, running products made by runners. And so we love it. And one of the things that we love about it that's been reinforced through research is that it's a transformative experience for people. You know, a lot of people run for charity a lot of people run for health, as I indicated before. Maybe they run for donuts. They're running for something, whether it's self-improvement or to make themselves better or their communities better, but they're running for something. It's a means to an end. And so the, the brand platform that we're going to launch is Run For Good. And I know For Good has been used in other categories by some, by some brands, but Connecting it to run for good works for us. And really what we're trying to do is speak to the goodness that comes from being a runner, whether Mm -hmm. it's how you feel, the impact you make on others, the impact you make on communities and, and what our great sport can do for, for the world. And I've been on brands that have sold cars or, you know, other things that might seem, if not frivolous, not so meaningful, but I do think that running can change people's lives in a good way and that this world needs brands and politicians and artists and people that stand for goodness. And so that's what we're going to stand for. And we don't want it to be a tagline. We want it to be a North star for us because we believe that what we do is going to be as important as what we say. So We've got all these cool ideas to bring that to life, not just, like I said, as a tagline or a punctuation on our marketing that goes out there, but also in the way we, the way we behave as a brand. And we have a couple of cool initiatives that are coming up, like something called the Run for Good Relay, which we think is going to be the world's first Instagram relay, but on World Running Day on June 5th or 6th this year, it's called Global Running Day. We're going to launch this program where we're challenging people just to run one mile and then tag three people that they think should get up and running and pass the baton to them to run one mile, tag three more people, and hopefully start an infinite run for good around the world. And 
you know, it's going to be different from the ice bucket challenge. No one, you know, that's another cliche. It wasn't inspired by that, but I recognize it's similar to that in, in its construct, but really it's designed to get avid runners to say, Hey, I'm Alan Hart. I just ran my fastest mile, 610. I challenge these three people to beat me. Or maybe it's someone else saying, Hey, I'm Don Lane. I just ran a mile. I challenge mom, Aunt Judy, and the mailman to get up and running, but can change your life. And so it's designed for our core audience, but also to expand our audience. If Nike and everyone else wants to hop in and join the relay, Rising Tide lifts all boats. We just want to stand for the goodness that comes from running and be a brand that can be a vessel for goodness around the world. So that's what we're that's what we're going to launch. It's hard to sell an idea on a podcast without examples of what the creative <laughs> looks like. So hopefully we right. justice, but that's where we're going. No, I love it. I love it. I was doing some outlining for some potential writing I want to do in the next couple of months. And this notion, I guess the gist is I'm I'm trying to figure out you know, if there was a mar- guidelines for marketing in 2020, yeah, right. Like, what what would that be? And I'm trying to reflect on all the conversations I've been fortunate to have through the podcast platform and this notion of which you're tapping into, frankly, with you know, run for good, is that how do you build a brand for a hundred years, right? Not just the next cycle. And so the notion of why you exist, right, yeah. as a as a company, as a producer of things, and connecting that in some way in which consumers can 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 have a piece of it themselves and even own it, frankly, I think is really special and important. And I, so I applaud your efforts. I think I think you're on the on the good track. I appreciate but, it. Thank you. Yeah, we want an yeah, enduring yeah. idea, and for good kind of connotes a commitment. We're doing something for good. There's the, I guess, the double right. entendre there. But it has to be true. You have to tell the truth about your brand yeah. and the product. Right. So we can tell product right. stories about the quality and the technology and the ingredients that go into our products. Like our new apparel line coming out next year is going to be 100% sustainable ingredients. That's run for good. Or it's good health, like I said, fitness or mental or good performance. Like I was saying before, you know, running performance is dependent on the runner for an avid athlete. They want to set a personal record every time the gun goes off for someone else. It's just finishing their first 5k or just getting started. That's, you know, good, good performance or a good run is going to be defined individually. So, you know, if we can also be a force of good in the world, whether it's through our foundation or environmentally friendly products in production, or just being a brand of purpose for purpose, that's what we want to do. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I want to take a little bit of an aside here at this juncture, because as I was preparing for this interview, and I don't remember if I found it in my research or if you happen to just briefly mention it, but I looked it up and you're actually highlighted in Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, Why Helping Others Drives Our Success. And um, I believe it was while you were at Arnold, you guys somehow met. And, you know, you were in the process of working on the VW campaign and he talks about, I don't want to spoil it for anybody that hasn't read the book, but in in essence, what I took away is you're kind of this unicorn. You, you talked about it earlier, you're an account guy with creative sensibilities, you know, in the agency world, if you go back to Mad Men days, strategy and account management were one thing, 
There was no like strategy department and then account management department. And that bifurcation of those two things, I think, has caused a lot of issues, yeah. um, not to mention a little bit of bloat in some agencies. But then you went on, like you mentioned, but you know, later you know, went on to DraftKings and had responsibilities for the creative output as well. And so I'm just curious, you know, one, how how do you think about the creative process? We've been talking about a lot of creativity, you know, whether it's this new positioning or, or other campaigns that you've worked on. How do you think about the process of creativity and what does it mean to manage it? Well, I think uh, I've never really thought about the process, so I'll just riff this, I guess. But I think you get it or you don't, actually. I think that the best advertising people, no matter what department they're in, really get it. And by get it, I mean, they understand through intuition, trusting their gut, just being connected, learning, listening, absorbing, they can see a great idea from a mile away that other people can't see the potential in. And I think the process starts there. It starts with the ability to identify an idea and see the potential in it. And then there are people that are amazingly brilliant and skilled at creating, writing, art directing, designing, developing, you know, creative artifacts or ideas. I don't want to insinuate at all that I have that skill set or that those refined capabilities. You know, those people, you know, have that gift. They're very gifted in that way. But I think that people in other quote unquote departments that are in advertising or in marketing, even client side, who can identify a great idea and see the potential in it should speak up share an idea. It could lead to another great idea. Maybe it's an idea that ends up getting produced. You know, if you're part of a team and you've built trust and, and there's a respect for one another's creative sensibilities, nobody really cares who came up with it originally. We all just want to make that idea as great as it can be. And so from a process standpoint, I just think it's adhering to like the core of an idea and then trusting others to bring it to life however they can. I don't know if that really answers the question, but I just think that there, yeah. you know, you don't have to be a creative to be a creative. You just have to believe you're creative because either you believe you're creative or you don't. And either way, you're right. Wow. That's good. That's great advice to you. How did, just curious how you and Adam Grant met. Um, he's pretty famous now. Well, I think well, he's <laughs> For, a uh, all the really interesting guy. I was at a, like a leadership program that Arnold's holding company sent a bunch of people around the world to Philadelphia to the Wharton School of Business. And he was one of the professors there. And we were talking about a lot of things. And I don't even remember half of the classes, but the one that stood out was his. And he was just an engaging character, really interesting, curious person. And he was talking about this thing he was working on called give and take, which is this idea that in organizations are comprised of givers or takers. People who, it, I won't define it, people can do the research, but he was asking for examples and somehow during a break, he connected, he wanted to have an example in this book that he was working on from advertising and I was sharing examples from other people and then he said, did I have any experience that was worth sharing with him? And I didn't think, I don't think he was asking to use me in the book, but I shared something and he liked it. And about a month or so later, he followed up with me and he said, I wrote it down and I want it to be in this book. Are you okay if I do it? And so he told a story about an experience I had on Volkswagen where 
I guess bringing the story back around, I was sharing a creative idea with the creative director of Volkswagen as an example of the strategy that we had written as a team, how I saw it come to life. And he looked up at me afterwards. He goes, hey, Don, that's the idea. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, no, we're going to do that. And, <laughs> and so I had written a radio script to bring it to life just because I needed proof of concept because I didn't think I was explaining right. it well verbally. And he goes, no, that line that you wrote at the end, that's going to be the tagline. That's going to be the thing. Now, he turned it over to creative people who turned it into a campaign. But there was that line right. that ended up won tons of awards, sold tons of cars and felt good to be part of that process. And so Adam Grant captured the spirit of how that interaction went with the creative director in me and highlighted it in his book. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, We've talked a little bit about you already, but I'd love to go a little deeper if sure. that's okay. And, uh, you know, is, has there been an experience in your past that you can point to, or, or maybe there's a couple that defines or makes up who you are today? Here's an experience that goes back to the beginning when I was interviewing at Arnold way back in 1995, last millennium. I'm sitting in the reception area waiting to be interviewed and Unbeknownst to me, a bomb threat gets called in. This is pre-9-11. So people were a little more laissez-faire about it. And it was just me and the receptionist. She turns white as a ghost. I notice it. I say, is everything okay? And she goes, we just got a bomb threat. So I sit there and she calls Ed Eskandarian, who's the CEO of the company. And he comes out and they talk and he calmly turns around and walks away. I'm thinking to myself, man, I really must want this job because I'm sitting here. Well, I'm the only one that knows what, what happened. <laughs> So there's commotion. It's an agency. It's the first agency I've sat in as an adult and it's great energy and people are bouncing around and doing stuff. And it was, and so finally, after about a half hour, the guy I was going to interview with comes out and says, Hey, listen, we've had a bomb threat. We're going to let everybody go. Can you come back tomorrow? I said, yes, definitely. I can come back tomorrow. So I call my dad and he says, how'd the interview go? And I said, well, there was a bomb threat. I have to go back tomorrow. And he paused. And after a long pause, he goes, Welcome to advertising. And I think his <laughs> point was there's commotion and chaos around us, not just in our industry, all around us. But if you're okay in the gray area and if you're excited by dodging bullets and, and uh, making things happen against all odds, then I think this kind of a career is for you. And so I think that not that that literally had an impact on me, but I think it's a good metaphor for what our business can be like at its scariest and at its most exciting. You're kind of out there. And if you really care about it, you can have a fun career. <laughs> That's a great metaphor. It's a great metaphor. <laughs> and I can only imagine like sitting there going, wow, do I, do I stay sitting here or do I leave now? <laughs> well, I thought, is this like a weird interview test? <laughs> right, right, right. Well, now, nowadays, like the, the Uber driver, they'll interview after you've ridden from the airport to the office to see how courteous you were. So you never know. You never know. I didn't know that. That's but, wow. Good to know. Yeah. 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 I can't remember which company I've heard that from, but it's been one recently. Um, it's, a, it's funny. So, well, um, what advice would you give your younger self if you were starting your career all over again? I think even though I was able to grow and move, work on a lot of different things at Arnold, I should have left way earlier. Not because I didn't have great opportunities there, but I just didn't have the perspective or the wisdom or to understand what I didn't know until I went to DraftKings. And mm -hmm. it's been 
thrilling to do that and then come here. Who knows what's next? I have no idea, but I do know that I just want to keep growing and changing. And I think what would have, I would have been a much, much better agency person if I had some client experience. And I think reciprocally, if I were to ever go agency side, I'll be a much, much, I'll be much better having had that client experience. So I think that's what I would have told myself is, you know, don't be afraid of that. And I think a lot of talented agency people are going client side anyway. So I think there's less of a, not a stigma, but there's less of a reticence to do that. And so I would encourage people who are thinking about it to do it and then go back and keep moving. What fuels you? What keeps you going now? I just want to be really proud of myself, the work that we do, the team I'm on, the, you know, how like the impact a leader can have by being a mentor or setting a vision. I just want to like, I'm in a place now where I do feel that and it's a great feeling. And I've had that at pockets in my career. And that's like a drug, you know, when you're, when you feel that source of pride, it, it really motivates you. It makes me more well-rounded in my personal life too. So, you know, I want my family to be proud of me and I want to be proud of myself. So that, that's what motivates me. Got it. I got it. And then marketers, I think always tend to be students of the business. Are there any brands, companies, or causes that you follow or you think other people should be taking notice of? I think um, I'll give you two maybe unexpected examples. I mean, the first one is, I mean, everybody says Apple and Apple at its best is awesome. So I'm not going to say that, but like that is the one that always motivated me from when I was a kid, when the first Mac came out in the, in the mid eighties, you know, but what they did was they stood for something really clear and still do to this day. So my favorite band is the Chris Robinson Brotherhood. He's most famous for being the front man for the Black Crows, but he's gone off to this other thing after that band broke up. And I bring that up because there he would never say this because he's very anti-marketing, but his <laughs> commune that he's developed around this idea of the Chris Robinson Brotherhood is a really clear, strong, distinct brand in the way that they behave, the show, the music, the presentation of the vinyl, the unboxing of a record, etc. There's an aesthetic that I admire it because that's what great brands do. And so it just, I think, is a good example, a personal example maybe of something that I love that is what great brands do. So check out the Chris Robinson Brotherhood, everybody. But then yeah. the second thing is, I think these direct-to-consumer e-com brands are really fascinating in the sense that their performance marketing, direct response marketing in the way they execute, but it's a Trojan. The ones that are doing it the best are totally wrapped in what their brand is. So I just bought a way, an away piece of luggage away. And from mm-hmm. the social posts to, again, the unboxing of the product to the usage of it, it tells a story. And this is a DR performance direct to consumer e-com brand. And I think yeah. that they're kind of doing branding better than a lot of brands are doing who are fumbling around trying to figure out performance marketing. So our world right now, the riddle is what's the balance of brand and DR? I think the pendulum, it's probably always been art and science in our, in our business. I think the pendulum is way too far in science right now and not at all enough towards the art. 
And it's ironic to me that the DR brands are creating more brand. And I think that that pendulum is starting to swing and is going to swing really hard back towards brand. And I'm curious if it will. And I'm, and I'm, admire the companies that are embracing that no i think i think you're 100 percent right i've had a couple ddc brands on the show and the more you talk to them now i mean this may have changed from say five years ago but like now you talk to them and they sound like brand evangelists meaning that they've started to pivot away from their performance roots to focus more holistically. Yeah. Because many of them hit these caps, right? They hit these like natural caps in their categories of you know, I can't get past the five or 10% market share before I have to figure out retail because they can't sell that much online through Facebook anymore. And so they, they, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I don't know if it's because they're small and it's a smaller group of people making the decisions and calls, but um, it's, uh, it's, they are brand the best ones are brand experts well last question don what do you see for the future of marketing so i think touched on it a little bit already this i think it's going to swing way back more towards art than science not that science is going to be underpinning everything but i think what's missing has been missing lately is strong branding and we're going to find that even among those performance marketers, if you would call them that, those the ones that win are the ones that are going to build a very clear, meaningful brand around their performance marketing process. And so I think that's the future. I actually think the future is the past in the sense that brands used to be exciting and differentiated and polarity was good, but being really clear about what their brand stood for was sticky. And I think that it's gotten really messy and blurry the last five, 10 years, but inevitably the best work is going to stand out and the best brands are going to stand out. So I would say, I would say that's the future. And I think the other thing too, is that agencies really need to recognize that they need to up their game in order for clients to see the need for them. And this is someone who loves agencies and love being an agency person. But I can't tell you how many times in my experience I've seen agencies spend so much time explaining to everybody that they do what they don't do as opposed to being awesome at what they're good at. And so I think in the absence of that swagger and conviction from agencies, clients are just going to build it inside. And so I'm interested to see how many more clients do that, who's successful at it, and then which agencies get out in front of that. Yeah. No, I think it's... uh something to watch for sure for sure well um don thanks so much for coming on the show I've, I've enjoyed this conversation immensely me too alan thanks for having me i really appreciate it hi it's alan again marketing today was created and produced by me with writing and editing by kevin Greeley, social media support by megan woods art and graphic design by sarah dell if you're new to marketing today please feel free to write us a review on itunes or your favorite listening platform Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.
Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.